Two Guys, One Shaker Cup Podcast, hosted by Joshua Shaw and Ryan Buckeye. What's up, everybody? Welcome inside Two Guys, One Shaker Cup Podcast. It is your boys. Not men. We're boys right now, Josh. We're boys until the election. That's where we're going to be. Today, we're talking about... Uh, actually, it's a super interesting topic for me because you traditionally look at look at like foreign expos. So if you want to look at Body Power when it existed or you look at FIBO when it existed, a lot of brands are at these events that I have never heard of, that you have probably never heard of. Uh, but there's also American brands there that have lines because people in Europe and, and, and all these different places, they like American brands. They, they wish they could have the Americanized version of pre-workout in their countries. They can't do the regulations, but it's interesting because it's the other brands, the ones that are prevalent in the UK, prevalent in Europe, prevalent in Australia, Brazil, all these different countries that us Americans are, I'm not going to say ignorant to, we just don't know and don't care because they can't offer or haven't been able to offer something to us that we want in the States. So is it worth paying attention? I guess is is the first question. And is there a brand that can cross over into the US market? That's a good conversation. I know that our UK, our European listeners, followers are probably like hitting their mouse right now thinking that there's a couple. I know that some have tried and some are coming over now um, in the food side of things. But still, when it comes to putters and caps, I honestly, I haven't seen a lot of movement in that area. But that that could and should change. Yeah, for me, the first couple international trade shows that I went to, this is, you know, in the early 2010s, um, when I'd walk around the trade show floor, I didn't know many of those brands. Um, now, very few come across that have some type of growth that I'm like, I've never seen these guys before. And I think that's because of social media. I think yeah. Being that now we can just see everything. And, and if you search around Instagram, you don't necessarily even know sometimes where these brands are originating from. So you just see a cool brand and you're like, oh, this is awesome. And then you do some research and realize, oh, this is from Sweden or this is from Germany or you know the UK or whatever. And I think that that's something unique because of social media, it's made the world a lot smaller. Right. And then you know, if you think about just as what happened in the US, you talked about them moving over to Europe and it, for the longest time, US brands went over to these countries and just kind of dominated them. And I, I know that's gonna piss some people off, but really like that was, you know, the brands, they moved over and, and they took over those countries. And then during probably the last five to seven years, you've seen a lot of like in-country brands step up their game. And now it's a lot harder to compete as a US brand in a lot of those countries or a lot of those regions because these brands have done a really good job. They've done such a great job that they've actually been able to garner enough of attention in their part of the world or even globally that now they're interested in coming over to the US. And you've seen, you know, over the last decade, varying levels of degree of, of success. I would say if you are, um, you know, considering a, a win-loss rate uh, and you relate it to baseball, that's the only chance you probably have as a good one. Because any other sport, you know, a three out of 10 or a two out of 10 wouldn't be very good. But no. uh, I, I, you know, they, they're, they're definitely not um, a resounding win in the right. U.S. And that's because there's so many nuances and just the size of the U.S. market is just, you know, dwarfs anything they're used to. I mean, California is the fifth biggest uh, economy in the world. You know, one state. So if you think about, you know, when you move from the UK 
and then all of a sudden you come over to the United States, just one of our states is, you know, almost one and a half times bigger than their whole country. Right. So it, it becomes like a very complex machine where then you're like, okay, I have to cut through all this noise. Now there's 10,000 brands to compete with, not, you know, five that or 500 brands or something like that. So it's, it's just a different environment. But recently, I think we've seen some that have come across that have been getting a little bit more attention. And that's kind of where I wanted to, to kind of focus on is just, just the idea that there is, that we are in a global you know, economy in, in a global category. And I think it's important for us to pay attention to them because if not, there's going to be one that takes our lunch one of these times uh, that we're not going to be paying attention to. So it's, it's one of these things where I think people need to start paying a little bit more attention. Yeah, I think you, you can reach anybody on a global scale via the internet, right? So, I mean, whether it be um, uh, eBay and Alibaba and Amazon, like you can reach anybody through, with to anything. Social media, you can reach anybody with your messaging. And I think it is interesting because we take a look at American brands who essentially when America American brands come out, their first thought process would be let's dominate American market and then from there we'll expand. Not, I don't think there's many American brands, if any at all, it says let's be an American brand but launch in Europe. I, I know that's not the case, but – there are a bunch of American brands that do much better overseas than they do in America. So we've talked about that a lot on this podcast. But really, when you start to think about some of these European or foreign brands kind of making their way into our market, it is they have they have something to offer that currently either not here or just maybe a different look or feel to them that is piques our interest. And a couple of brands, um, you know, one brand I, I mentioned on the start of this podcast, there's not a lot of pills and powders really um, in, in these foreign brands that are making headway in the States. And I'm not saying this brand is making headway, but it's one that's caught my attention. And Josh, I think you've probably seen it too uh, based on the branding, but the brand called Sneak. So they use a bunny. Um, Sneak Energy is their energy drink. They have a cool look. Admittedly, their cans and their, their labels and graphics look cool. They're doing a phenomenal job on social media. But again, we actually, before we started this podcast, Josh and I were talking about how perception is not always reality. So just because we see them on social doesn't necessarily mean that they're doing anything of substance in, in an Americanized market. But I think it, even just having a presence or having visibility to the end consumer here, I mean, this Sneak Energy has a U.S.-based website. They are based out of Manchester, I believe, is, is, their, is their HQ. Um, but it's one that I find to be intriguing, to be interesting. Uh, I, I admittedly, I still don't know a whole hell of a lot about them. I've never had any of their products, but it's something that I look at and said, like, I think that this look and feel, uh, uh, assuming, and, and again, formulas mean nothing for 95% of people in this country, but based on their look and feel, I think this is something that could potentially do okay in America if they continue down the path uh, of their marketing that they've done via social and, and via other aspects of things. Yeah, they've taken an approach towards gaming, and I think that that's segmented the market pretty good for themselves. Um, I've seen a lot of their, um, even like videography and photography, and they do a really good job at you know, presenting themselves extremely well. Right. So I think you know, just having that and coming over and, and knowing just how big gaming is across not just our our country but all the world, you know, there's some potential there. I don't know if I've gotten to the point of understanding how deep they are ingrained into the esports world of like, right. if, is it super authentic or not? I, my sense is it is, um, but I haven't, you know, done the, the time or the due diligence to kind of look into it, but just off of face value, it feels um, very authentic. It mm -hmm. seems like the way that they're talking is very authentic. And that alone being that they have a unique, maybe offering or unique, unique look, um, 
you know, they could get some traction as long as they can understand the U.S. market. Right, exactly. And I think that's the that sometimes is always the most difficult part of this. It's not like can you create a cool product? Can you create a cool package design? It's like can you understand your your consumer? Because I, I always think about things in the fashion world. I think the fashion world is a great place to always have these conversations because traditionally fashion trends start where? There. And then they come here. Yeah. Like they don't start in America. They really never have. It's what's cool in Europe then comes to uh, New York and L.A., the big cities in Chicago. And then all of a sudden, you know, um, those in Austin, like the hippies down in Austin, like Josh Shaw decides like, hey, I can wear that. I can get, get by with that. Like I can walk the streets with this. And then you get me here in the Midwest who like buys the stuff from garage sales after it's no longer cool. That's how <laughs> that's how fashion works. But in sports supplements or nutrition we start the trend. Like America kind of starts the trend. We have, not to say there's not ingredient manufacturers, there's tons of ingredient manufacturers in China and, and all these different places, but we have some of the most reputable uh, ingredient researching institutions in the world here in America. And there's a bunch of uh, big time ingredients that are used in supplements now. But I, I think, it, I, I, again, case in point, like you look at some of these Americanized brands that do extremely well across seas because like we are the trendsetters. We are the ones that are quote unquote cool. Um, but in the fashion world, it's, it's a complete role reversal. So, um, you know, you look at trying to understand your consumer. I can tell you, I, and th this is actually a good question for you, Josh, is like when you go into these meetings and the brand that has decided to uh, employ you on a project says like, listen, we're trying to break into the UK market. I mean, is your first thing demographic reports or some sort of like w asking those questions like who you're target market and then trying to understand the consumer buyer behavior in that country versus what it is here? Yeah, I think your first step is really to understand that do you have the right you know, product mix that matches the market, the right pricing, the right, you know, whatever it is, you kind of have to match and align everything together. And if there are some type of uh, misalignments or constraints into the system that's not going to make it work. You either have to fix those things first um, or you try your best to kind of push through it with maybe you have extra budget or whatever to, to kind of like push it through the system. Right. Uh, but for the most part, yeah, I mean, yeah, you're making sure that everything matches the thing. It's not just a matter of trying to figure out how fast and how big you can grow. It's like where are your best fit at because – it's one thing to get on shelf or get in country. It's another thing to actually be able to get that product pulled off the shelf and actually create velocity. That's where this all works. So it's one thing to be able to just ship your products over here and, and get them onto maybe some of the e-commerce sites or sell some stuff on Amazon. It's another thing to actually be able to get enough of turns that you become a active part of the U.S. sports nutrition or functional CPG market. And I think that that's where a lot of the brands fall short of they don't get to that point of actually being into the conversation yeah they're over here they might be selling you know a million bucks two million bucks or whatever but like if you ask a common consumer they're not going to really know these names but they might be doing 20 times that in their country or their or the region it's just that for whatever reason they haven't been able to create the velocity create the pool that is needed because maybe they're not differentiated enough like you said maybe they don't understand the consumer enough Whatever it is, something's falling short. You mentioned functional, and, and I kind of said, like, that's where I've seen more of the crossover, yeah. right? Like, Grenade, now we've seen barbells come in, or Bear Bells, actually, I think it's actually how Bear you Bells, it, yeah. Right? Bear Bells and NoCo. Um, and, and, like, you think about just food in general, like uh, Toblerone candy bars, right? Wasn't that, like, a Swiss chocolate bar that then was purchased by Mondelez, and then now it's here? Like, that's really where I kind of see things 
goings, like the food thing, for whatever reason, is a lot easier because maybe there's less regulations. They don't have to change the product. They don't have – because admittedly, you're not going to bring a pre-workout that's approved in Europe to America because it's going to be weak compared to what we're used to in this country. So you have to reformulate it. Um, But I think that there's definitely potentials for functional brands to really come over here because food, for the most part, is food. You're not adding in weird shit. So Bear Bells, Nelco, Grenade, for instance, and their bars and spreads. I think, you know, Grenade, for instance, like you walk into a vitamin shop, you see them on the store shelves. Like that is – you don't see – and maybe you know better than I do. Like you walk into a vitamin shop, I would say 98% of those brands are probably brands from the States, if not higher yeah. than that. You know, with, with maybe a couple here or there that might get some placement due to – I don't know, preference because there's a relationship there or something. Um, but, again, when it comes down to putters and caps, that's the tough part. But then you also want to look – we, we broaden this and we just look at, like, the fitness industry. Then we can extend it and say, okay, well, then there is fashion. There are brands like Father Sons, which is a clothing brand that their prices on their website are in – I don't even know what that symbol is. But it's not American, Pounds. right? Yes, there you go. It's not USD, okay? But they do they do a good amount of sales in America because it's a fashion thing and bodybuilders like to wear it. Um, but, again, it, if we are solely focusing on sports nutrition, I would love to see – it would be interesting. Like, who do you think is the, the best brand or the best crossover brand to come into the country, not from Canada, not from Mexico? If we're – Based on success, like based on what sales, you sales, like yeah. sales level. Yeah, sales success. I mean, but uh, take out food, take out food, and just stick with what we know as sports just, nutrition. Just sports nutrition. I would say because of maybe length of time, um, and this is, I guess, maybe taking out like, my protein would be first. Sure. Um, okay. Good call. That one would be first. Um, now, if we're considering past my protein, because they are like they live online anyway, so mm-hmm. it's one of those things where it's it's a you know, they have U.S. operations and everything, right. so I'm not going to take that away from them. But they're far and away the biggest in terms of sales in the U.S. market of a European brand. But then I would say probably USN um, from South Africa. They've been in the market now for uh, five to seven years more, right. or more at this point in the U.S. market. And they, they do sell a lot of the Caps Powers pills still. Um, they haven't really they diversified. Have yeah, they don't have not diversified all that much into some of the food and beverages. Um, and to your point around the food and beverage part of it, it's like a double-edged sword because what makes them unique in the UK or you know Europe or wherever it is is a lot of times like food quality and you know productions, maybe simplicity or whatever. They have different standards. Sometimes those things are better. Right. As an example, with the chocolate, like if they were to use maybe a chocolate coating or something, their manufacturers maybe know processes or or maybe know the way to compile that in a way. Uh, that works better um, for their market, and it, it's great. The issue is when you start to move that over to the U.S. is if you ship that over, then you have a bunch of cost into something that already has low margin. So then you're you're kind of screwed there. Yep. Then if you move over manufacturing, then you're going to have to deal with the constraints in the U.S. market on how you – you know, those contract manufacturers want to do things. So you're going to be working against that wave. So there's a lot of issues in terms of like food and beverage. I think right. beverage a little bit less because a lot of the co-packers are international in, in the sense of you could work with one and, and they'll be able to transfer everything over. But from a food standard, you know, kind of thing, or even the way that they like things compiled, maybe sugar alcohols in the UK or whatever, they, they tend to lean on those a little bit more than we do in the US market. Um, things like that start to erode a little bit at like the success or like the, the, the chance of success because you're, you're eating away at your margin um, or you're dealing with 
in-country manufacturing that you're going to have to deal with some of those complexities. So it's it's kind of a double-edged sword. I think that's their way to get in because that's their uniqueness, but then there's also the challenges that come with it. Interesting you brought up USN. I, I totally, whatever reason that slipped my mind, we, I work with USN, uh, you know, so it's like one of those brands. But to me now, I, I guess I didn't even think of them as a foreign brand because they've been here, you know, and they, they've have a presence in, in the States. Now they can obviously grow um, and that's what they're trying to do, but they have done, um, they, they have a solid protein. They, they have collagen. They have a bunch of cool stuff. Um, you know, that they do and, and their offices are kind of like all over there. People spread all over, you know, Connecticut, Florida, et cetera. So um, they are good. My protein. Yeah. Obviously, being a digital brand, I, they are just a, that's the thing. Right. So I think my protein being a digital brand has kind of blurred those lines a bit in terms of like, is this an American brand? Is this a UK brand? Like there are brands that, you know, for a fact, like this originated here. Um, and there are a lot of people that probably know that about my protein, but I think they're so big now and successful that I don't think a lot of people would look at that and say, this is a foreign brand nowadays. I, maybe they still do. I don't know. But like, I look at them and think is, and I think that's when you've made it. That's when you become successful. When you, somebody looks at you and says, you're not a U.S. based brand. You're not an EU based brand. You're just a global brand. And that's obviously success, um, that, that in their case, because they, they live online and they're not are they brick and mortar at all? I think they're changing over some strategies here in the U.S., but until um, that point, it's been all direct-to-consumer. Yeah. So, I mean, that that right there, just like – so then there could be like a different realm. Like, okay, this isn't this isn't a geographical brand at all. Like, this is just a straight digital brand with no geographical constraints. Um, but again, like to your point, I think you mentioned something extremely – relevant to this is in terms of if you're producing in Europe, you're producing in the UK and you're shipping across that big pond to here, that it's, it doesn't make sense between customs and everything else that you deal with. Like it's, if you don't have a co-packer here in the States, it damn near makes it impossible because the fees on, and, 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 you know, the imports, it's just, it's absolutely crazy. And I, I don't even know how to paint a picture for those listening. Like to understand, I get people all the time, like, Ryan, can you ship me something to Canada? Yeah, I could, but like literally to ship a box, like a parcel box, a four by four box, it ends up costing like 35, 40 bucks for one item. Like that's because of customs and because of, uh, of what you have to do in terms of like the, the, the transportation. Now you, you obviously aren't going to be shipping just one box. You're going to be shipping a pallet. Then are you doing it via boat? You're doing it via air. And there's just a ton of cost to it. I, again, another example is I tried, um, I had somebody in South Africa that wanted me to ship them a half a pallet, a half a pallet only. It was going to be like $1,200 to ship that half a pallet. There's no margin left in that product. In fact, you're probably losing money. So it's, it's, it's extremely hard to do that. Uh, and you, if you want to do that, like I think you have to you, – you can't just wake up one day and say, hey, I want to sell my product in the United States. Like You need to have a full encompassing strategy, which includes your, your logistical standpoints in terms of, of production because I think that's going to be the biggest pain point. You know, your, your, your shipping and production is going to be the biggest pain point. If you can't – if you can't overcome that hurdle, there's no fucking way you're going to be successful here. Yeah. Yeah. The initial kind of launch is, you know, just to get to see test traction, whatever you can just flat or lose money just to see how the reaction is in the market. Right. But eventually you have to have that as a plan in your map and say, I'm going to need in-country manufacturing because to your point, you know, when a U.S. brand ships over to say South Africa, they tend to work with a master distributor. That master distributor is consolidating a bunch of brands together in a shipping container at a freight forwarder in New Jersey mm -hmm. or 
Florida or something like that, where they'll ship it all over in a you know, 20 or 40 foot container on a boat. But for a food product or a beverage product, depending on meltability, depending on how long you have on your expiration date, it's like those things sit a little bit of time, especially if they haven't timed up all the shipments together. It's like that could sit at port for you know four months or something like that. And you have a nine month, you know, best of expiration date, all of a sudden, by the time it gets landed to and sold to some of the like retail stores, it might have three months left of, of expiration. So that, that's what holds back a lot of that. So if you are a brand that's not necessarily pulling a bunch of other things together, you're dealing with what you just said with like South Africa, like you have to ship it yourself, you have to deal with that stuff yourself. And then that becomes extremely costly if you're not doing big volumes. So it's mostly around like those margin issues and then manufacturing issues in terms of like the food and beverage. But again, that's where this is probably your best chance of success. But throw a little curveball like on a more of a powdered based, you know, food item uh, brand that I don't know has done all that much in the US yet, but has really done an extremely good job in, in the UK is a brand called Huel. Like oh, I've H- seen it. yeah. yeah. Yeah, H-U-E-L. Um, and they just passed in the fifth year $100 million in revenue. And most of that's coming from in-country type of thing. But it's kind of similar if people are like, what the hell is Huel? Um, it is kind of reminiscent in the U.S. market to the uh, Soylent. Like that oh, kind of yeah, like yep. all-encompassing like vitamin, mineral, like uh, optimized meal in a powder type of a situation. I know that Huel, I think, is went a little bit further with that and has some some different like more food options as well but um, on the powder side if you're looking to like you know kind of bring it into your mind to something you're used to um, it'd be kind of similar to like what Soylent does in the U.S. market of like this complete um, kind of meal uh, shake or ready to mix. Crazy you brought that up because I, I literally just looked up Huel too and like there was just an article on these guys like a week ago um, just like literally talking about them too and how quickly they've grown and how massive they've grown and i guess then that begs the question if you're and i don't know if they're privately held um you or not but or even like we we know like a redcon is privately held right like yeah. if you're a privately held privately held corporation and you're a hundred million dollar company is it worth i mean is it worth the headache i mean in that case you can obviously redcon can produce in a, in a foreign country whatever but like if you're good at something and it provides you a way of life and i mean is it worth expanding like do you need to i don't think you need to but it just comes down to like do you want world domination in in the case of like aaron singerman like he wants to dominate the world we know that and and he 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 probably will um but the big thing too with this is like there's one word i think anytime that you want to do this and the word is trust and i and you have to trust in yourself that your product is going to be successful but then you know if you're a uk brand and you decide to do manufacturing in the states you need to trust a manufacturer. You need to trust a contact point, a person over here, whether you hire somebody and have them move here, you hire somebody domestically because that person needs to understand the operations of a business and able to help you run that business in North America, which, I mean, then again, are you picking the correct con- – I mean, this is the same as you know being in the homeland, but you know, right contract manufacturer. Do you have the right logistical plan to get this stuff out the doors to – Stores. I mean, there. That's a huge trust factor to make it work. And I think unless you are absolutely ready to take that, like if you're just a startup brand in the UK, like the last thing that should be on your mind is is how to get into the states. I mean, you should probably just figure out how to sell there first, yeah. um, and then you know you're gonna. And here's the thing: we live in a digital world, so you're always gonna have people asking for your your brand. 
Like it happens to me all the time. People in Canada, people in Europe, and like, can we get your stuff? No, you can't. I'd love to get it to you, but right now is not the time. Like I need to focus on here and now before I start taking my resources and my time and dedicating it to something that's not nearly as lucrative or as important at this time. And I think that's a big thing, right? Like I think a lot of people, we're humans. So anytime somebody wants us or wants our items or asks for it, we try to say yes. And we try to think of how to do that uh, to the point where sometimes we don't think about what we're giving up to achieve something that might not be nearly as lucrative. So if you're a EU or UK brand, like is American market going to be lucrative? Yeah, it can be, but like you need to do a lot of things on your end to make it lucrative. So maybe now is not the time. And I, I think that maybe that's why there's been so many failures is that I, I think they jump too quick and they, 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 they try to get here. They're like America, America is like the land of the free and the home of the brave and the American dream. And they want part of that themselves, but I just don't think they're set up for success to do that so quickly. Yeah. The most overlooked cost in business is opportunity cost. Mm -hmm. People for whatever reason, because it's not an actual fungible cost and, and you don't see it hit your uh, P and L uh, people don't account for it enough and it's resource allocation, especially when you're a startup like you, I mean, yeah, it's great um, to hear that people want you, but for you to spend all that time for, you know, a market that might get you a couple thousand bucks a, a year, right. or you could put in that time and probably create, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars in the U.S. market um, with a much easier path. Where do you go? And and I think that that is definitely a problem on both sides. I mean, that's the U.S. brands that jump too far over into countries too quick, um, same way where the U.K. Or, or European or Australian or whatever wants to come over here too early because they see, you know, opportunity and money signs and, you know, they want to get a piece of that. But it pulls away from the focus that you need and brings you into a totally different, unique type of market. Um, did want to get your thoughts on, you know, if you've been paying attention to any brands or ones that you think, you know, outside of, I think you said sneak, but like, is, is there any of them that have caught your eye um, outside of us kind of generated that you think these guys got a chance, these guys could be something that we need to pay attention to? Honestly, no. I mean, and, and we, Josh and I talked before the show, like, let's not talk about Canada or Mexico because they kind of operate in the yeah. same way. There's a couple of Canadian based companies that, yeah, but for them, it's a little bit easier, right? There's not a huge pond to have to cross over, but I have not seen – I mean I, we, follow, we follow individuals on social media who are part of distribution companies for these, these brands, right? And I see the things that they post, um, and outside of them posting about it, I haven't heard anything. You know, So it's like you have to be careful not to get caught up in, in the small community of people uh, on social media that sometimes maybe makes things seem bigger than what they are. Um, and and you know, even looking at some of the things that they had posted – um, that I haven't seen in the state, in the states here. Like, for instance, um, you know, it's interesting that Snickers bar, for instance, right? Like they have like the high yeah. protein Snickers bar, um, and that's that's big there. But which that actually surprises me, it's not big here. Like it, it really does because the word protein. But then again, maybe in in Europe you can use the term high protein um, differently than in America. I know, but I think there's like 20 grams of protein in that thing. So. Um, you know, there, there are things like that that are, I guess, American brands that are successful then over there, but only over there that I'm surprised we haven't seen here yet. But I honestly have not. Uh, I, I think there is a brand, Naughty Boy, right? Does that sound familiar? Um, that I, I think. 
I, the only reason I'm saying this is because, like, Naughty Boy lifestyle, they, they use that fucking word lifestyle. With that said, I do like the brand. The branding is very similar to a brand here in the States, very similar, uh, if not exactly the same. But they have, like, caricatures and, and, and like, their social art, everything that they've done in terms of, like, social media. It's been cool and fun. Like, I, I could see it getting some traction here. But, again, like, I don't want to get caught too much up in – the telling of social media. Yes, their social platforms look great. Does that mean they're going to be successful? I mean, it could. It could. I just, I don't know. I'm glad that I wasn't the one that said naughty boy. Because <laughs> every time I hear that come across, I just laugh a little bit. I don't know why. I, don't, I have no idea why. Because, I mean, it's there's way more... Um, idiotic brand names in the U.S. than that, uh, so I don't want to like throw shade at them. But I mean, you know, it's remember one of there those... was a pre-workout <laughs> called cocaine in the United States, right? Pure Cut. Who I know the guy there, and I, ne- I he sent me the new pre-workout. And I said, "Thank fucking God, you changed that name." And like, because it was, but uh, yes, we all do, we all do dumb shit. But I mean, Naughty Boy. I I see Josh Shaw. I, you know, I should get you a Naughty Boy shirt for Christmas. <laughs> Watch, I'm going to get, like, a big package from those guys just out of nowhere. <laughs> I'm just a stickler uh, for branding, right? And, like, even though, like I said, it's very close um, to some other stuff that I've seen, like, that is – that's one that looks – I think is Applied Nutrition. Are they also um, – like, they have a good look. Kind of a USN-like look, more white and blue. Um, yeah. I don't know if they're formed. But, I mean, they're – honestly, like – like I said, I would walk through Feeble or, or Body Power, and I would probably be lost. But like, what, what is all these things? Like, and yeah. I would be – my mind would be open to everything. Yeah, a lot of those – I mean when you're talking about like the applied or you're talking about like the, like the CNP or Olymp or SciTech or like all these brands, they are very unique in their own countries or own regions. But when you move them into the U.S., there's like a thousand of them yeah. that look like them. So it's yeah. like when you get there – you, you try to offer your same low price this or your same whatever. It's like there's tons of brands that do that because we have lower barriers of entry. We have, you know, you know, different e-commerce systems that allow them to sell at lower margins, a bunch of things that are just unique to the U.S. market right. that, like, takes away the advantages. Um, so those, like, we could have talked all about them. And some of them maybe have a unique item or two, and maybe that's how they just move in just with the hero skew, and that's it. Like, they try to be very deep into one section kind of like if you think about grenade like they have supplements in the uk but in the u.s it's just the the bars and the spreads yeah they and had I the think protein maybe they bars have, here and they failed yeah you know so um you know, so it's maybe just going in with that like hero one that you think is going to be good and then maybe if you have some success you could create some scale then maybe you you expand out but you know that's to your point it's kind of like you walk around it's it's going to seem like the sea of sameness for us because we do see so much of it um in the u.s uh, because we can pull like Oh, this example, this example, this example that all seems similar to them, where in those countries, they might only be competing against 10 other players. And that's mm. super unique. But to us, we see 10,000. So it's a little bit different. Um, to answer that question, in terms of like who I think has a chance um, that has just kind of hit the US market, but has had a really big success in kind of the Nordic um, European markets is you, you mentioned with like Naco and like I don't know about the barbell, you know, kind of extension, but I think just the drink of, you know, be that the the Naco or like I think their main brand is maybe Vitamin Well or whatever. That's like, yep, like yep, the yep. portfolio. They have a kind of a functional vitamin beverage or whatever. A lot of those I think have a very um, 
kind of a vibe to them similar to like a Celsius slash Red Bull. Like, um, cause Celsius has a lot of like, they've pulled a lot of inspiration from their Nordic uh, distributor lately. And a lot of this kind of thing where I think that might be a unique angle. Um, they might get some traction, I think, especially because a lot of the merchandising sets now are expanding for some of these functional beverages. So you're seeing like a lot more on shelf. You're seeing a lot of the brands that are kind of what I consider maybe second tier um, functional um, energy drinks are getting a lot more shelf space. And I think because they jumped in when they did, I think they're going to get some of those spaces because it's unique. Um, I haven't tried, I think you've tried them, right? I, yeah, I don't I mean, know. They're okay. Uh, Danielle likes like the peach one a lot. Uh, and, but like anything, right? Like, they have a couple flavors that are decent. They're 180 milligrams of caffeine, so it's nothing crazy. And, and they're smaller. They're not 16 ounces. So um, they got a unique look, different flavors. You know, it, it has potential if they can get distribution. Yeah, that one just kind of seems like from what I've been paying attention the last couple of years, like the the buzz that's been growing. I know they have, you know, some some large investment groups um, that have thrown some money in for this expansion. So I think they have at least some firepower to try some things out. So it'd be interested to see how that kind of expands over time. I know that they've just in the last, you know, maybe year gotten into the market. So it takes some time, especially on the beverage side, to like get the right partners on the distribution and you know, get those conversations going. It's not like a snap of the fingers and you can get it in a Joe's supplement shop. Correct. Um, yeah. I mean, like with anything, it, it's, it's a, it's trial and error. It is like, how much money do you have? And, uh, you know, that's might be the biggest thing and then work hard. So, um, it, yeah, I, I think, you know, the other, the, not to go too long on this podcast, but I know there is one that I follow the owner on social, um, but like warrior supplements in the bars, like th that yeah. looks interesting to me. Um, you know, I don't, I don't see a lot of it here, but I think that they're making at least good headway overseas to potentially where they could come this way. I mean, their, their offerings on the bar side look decent and they also have powders. And so could be another one to, to look at here as we move forward. So if you guys like what you heard on the podcast, hit that subscribe button, write us a review, helps out the algorithm run iTunes, Spotify. We're on YouTube. You can watch that as well. Write us a, a comment. If you have, if you're part of the EU, UK, or just, you know, a, a different country, that's not America outside of Mexico and Canada, even Mexico and Canada, like shoot over who you think is, is, is relevant. Cause I mean, some of the brands that I'm not familiar with all the Canadian brands either, a lot of them, but not all of them. So um, love to hear from you guys. Uh, next week we are going to be talking, I don't know, we're gonna talk about something smart or at least make it sound like it's smart anyway. Yeah, so, probably. uh, at Jay Shaw consulting on the Instagram, uh, at fitness informant for myself, we are at two guys, one shaker cup on all the different platforms. Appreciate you guys tuning in. We're on iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, Stitcher, YouTube, Google Podcast, and more. Follow us along on our social media channels. We're on Facebook, Two Guys, One Cup, Instagram, and Twitter.